I spend about an hour every morning looking through news and culture websites. I hit CNN, Slate, and Vox, and then I open up Apple News to see what I might be missing from more unusual sources. Now, the other day, an article from BuzzFeed caught my eye. So first off, yes, I love me some BuzzFeed because sometimes you just need cute dog pics and funny parenting tweets to bring a smile to your face. But this article was neither about cute dogs nor parenting tweets. It was about an Instagram influencer with over 2 million followers who wasn't able to sell 36 shirts to her audience. Now, that's a conversion rate of less than two thousandths of a percent. But I got to hand it to BuzzFeed. Their angle was to curate a bunch of tweets that contained genuinely helpful marketing lessons in response to this debacle. Most of those tweets were along the lines of knowing your customer and what they want to buy. Fair enough. Unfortunately, that's not how a lot of people go about winning at the game of social media. It's all about churning out content that's going to get the likes. Churn and churn and churn. And to what end? Hopefully, sales, of course. But so often, the sales just don't come, whether you have 2 million followers or 2,000 followers. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about how small business owners are growing and running their businesses, regardless of the current hype, gimmicks, or fads. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. My guest today wants to offer a remedy for the churn and burn that is audience building on social media, a remedy that is much more likely to lead to sales and time saved. Kim Harrington helps online entrepreneurs and influencers conquer the content creation treadmill with SEO and marketing strategies to build traffic and empower them to achieve their goals. She's worked with people like Sarah Von Bargan, Paul Jarvis, and many more to increase organic traffic by as much as one thousand percent. Kim is also the founder and creative director at Orsana, a digital marketing agency that focuses on day-to-day marketing. Her agency's client list includes brick and mortar stores, product designers, doctors, dentists, law firms, manufacturers, and other small businesses. I asked Kim what's working when it comes to SEO today, not just from a technical standpoint, but from the perspective of building audiences hungry for the products or services we offer. As part of our What's Working series, Kim shares her own experience working with clients and how SEO has helped them build much bigger audiences. We talk about what SEO, search engine optimization, actually is and how creating the right content can bring leads who are ready to buy straight to your website. Kim also shares some straightforward ways to organize your content so you get as much juice from it as possible. We'll get into today's conversation in just a minute. But first, this is exactly the kind of thing we talk about inside the What Works Network. We break down assumptions and get real about what works. We critically examine the hype and look for honest to goodness truth. We share the lessons we've learned the hard way so others don't have to make the same mistakes. If you're ready for that kind of grown-up talk about running and growing a small business, now is the time to join us inside the What Works Network. Membership is open for a short time, and when you join now, you can attend our virtual conference on building your audience as a complimentary benefit of your membership. Go to explorewhatworks.com network to learn more and join us. That's explorewhatworks.com network. And now... Let's find out what's working to grow your audience through SEO. Kim Harrington, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I'm, so I'm really excited about this topic. Really excited to sort of, I think, dispel some myths that people have about how an audience gets built online today in this digital marketing, social media age. Because I think when most people start to think about building an audience. They think about making it big on social media. They think about becoming an influencer on one of the many platforms out there that you can become an influencer in. Um, but you have a bit of a different approach or a very different approach. So let's start with the drawbacks to that kind of influencer mindset or social media audience mindset. What do you, Where do you see people going wrong uh, or making mistakes when they focus on social media as their only audience building tool? Absolutely. And it's funny that you want to start this conversation here because I recently had a discussion with a woman that has over 100,000 followers on Instagram, which is such a goal for so many business owners that just seems so phenomenal. And the truth of the matter is that she actually doesn't make a living through her social media presence. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it seems like that should be such a marker of success. But the truth is, is that you have to have an audience that's ready to buy from you if you're running your business online. And one of the biggest problems with social media, which it definitely has its place for audience cultivation, it's just that when you create content there, it's that you're constantly being asked to create content because social media platforms, they incentivize content creation and they even give us the tools to do just that. And when we create great content on a routine basis and we post regularly, they reward that. Any social media expert will tell you that. But the thing to remember is, for instance, on Facebook, 75% of all impressions on a post happen within the first two and a half hours. And then on Instagram, 75% of engagement happens for most really good Instagram posts within the first 48 hours. So it requires that you're constantly building new content out and then it's exceptional all the time. And the kind of unfortunate bit of that is that if you stop posting, you'll stop being successful if you base most of your audience building on social media versus if you take my approach of being content focused on your website, it can actually help develop over years with a single blog post. And it really has to do with creating the right kind of content that attracts search engine traffic. And it takes about eight months conversely versus Facebook and Instagram for it to really start to get the speed that it can accumulate in terms of impressions and driving traffic. But once it gets there, if it's the right kind of content, it can maintain that level for years without you having to take a further action. Wow, that's incredible. And I can say from my own experience, I well, I have experienced that. And it is incredible to watch those those same posts drive traffic uh, and engagement year after year after year. <laughs> it's amazing. And you're right. Social media does nothing like that. And I think we're all familiar with the constant um, hamster wheel of creating social media content just to stay, not even it like, not even to stay influential, but just to stay even relevant on a platform. And it's exhausting. Okay, so we're going to talk about content and we're going to talk about social, uh, we're going to talk about search engine optimization. Before we get into some really great examples of how this works and, and what you do with your clients, I would love for you to just explain to us once and for all, what the heck is search engine optimization? Um, and what does it have to do with the content that we're creating on our websites? 
So SEO, search engine optimization, is the act of creating a website that ranks highly in search. That's it. It's pretty simple and straightforward, but there's a lot of technical elements that can go into it. And it can be really overwhelming for people who are new to SEO, especially when they read things about keyword placement or organizational structure or neural matching. There's a lot of technique and jargon that goes into SEO. But at the end of the day, if you're a content creator online, it's primarily about understanding your audience and what their needs are and creating content and organizing it on your website in such a way that you're helping them and that you're providing the best solution or the best answer to their needs. Well, that was very clear and easy to understand. So thank you for that. <laughs> All right, let's get in. <laughs> it's taking a lot of practice to get to I'm that sure. point to be able to say what SEO is exactly. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay, so let's get into how you actually do this with your clients. Um, because I think you have, I think you have a unique approach, and I think that it's gonna be very, very appealing to what works listeners. So can you kind of walk us through? And I know you've got some examples for us. How do you help? your clients build an audience through search engine optimization. So the focus of what I do with my clients is content creation that you've heard me already talk about that a whole lot, but it's about creating the right type of content. So if you think about influencers, a lot of the content they create that we see the most of are post roundups and businesses do this too, where they post, you know, the, the best links or the best resources for business owners. And they think that that's a really great way to get traffic. The truth is for a lot of people, if you post that content, it gets traffic for a very short period of time. Even though it's a blog post, it acts very similar to social media. So my focus with my clients is making sure that we really get down to the nitty gritty of what their audience needs and then take the SEO best practices that I know and have used for the last seven years of doing SEO research making sure we've got the right keywords, the right site structure, all the technical elements of SEO of making their site work really well for Google and for other search engines and combining it together with content that's written to answer those problems that their audience has. Gotcha. So what does that look like in practice? (laughs) So, yeah, and it's kind of an abstract thing. So I have a program that that I use that's a three-month-long program because SEO, it's not a small commitment because it's so holistic. So one example that I'll share is with Sue De Chiara, who is a interior design blogger. And she's kind of the classic example of an online influencer that she makes primarily her money through affiliate marketing. She used to have an e-commerce store, though. So she's had a couple different business models throughout time. So what we did is the first stage with her that I do with all of my clients is we start with an audience survey and we get down to what the audience is actually looking for and what they're already coming to the site for right now. So she was doing a lot of sourcing products for interior design of different looks and was making that affiliate income on these posts that rounded up, you know, the top 10 trays for on top of uh, an ottoman in your living room, things like that. And she would post it. She'd get a small amount of traffic from social media or from her email list. And then after that, it would fall off. And if she didn't continue to post content all the time, she wasn't getting traffic. So it's that same hamster wheel problem that we experience with social media. So what we found out when we did that audience survey and really started to talk with her audience about what their problems are 
we found out that they're really trying to get a certain look. And that's why they were coming to her to find the sources for products was because they're wanting to create a certain thing in their homes for interior design. So now she's turning towards creating guides on how to get certain looks that incorporate that knowledge that she has and demonstrates it in such a way that it's helping her audience. And she's just started to do this transformation. But in eight months, when we go back and look at her traffic, I know for sure that it's really going to make a difference in how much traffic she's getting. And the reason why is because another client that I've worked with was Paul Jarvis, who is someone that we all kind of know as someone who who's made it. Um, and he has a certain perspective about growth hacking that um, he's he's not a big fan of it. And SEO falls into that space. So I worked with Paul to help him get more traffic to his MailChimp website, where he has a course on how to use MailChimp. And we created just 20 posts for his website. It's a very small website. And they're super targeted about certain MailChimp topics of how to use MailChimp or how to use segments, how to do um, list, you to use your list to kind of grow your, your website. And we made these 20 posts and posted them all at once on wow. his website. And his rankings shot up. He went up within eight months. He got a thousand percent more traffic from search engines alone. And Paul doesn't really do a whole lot of social media. So that's a really big change for his business of that he's ranking at the top for what we call money keywords. So keywords like MailChimp course, he now ranks in the top three. Oh my. And so it's, you don't have to make a big commitment to making these types of changes. It's just really getting down to the core of understanding the right kind of content and what your audience is already looking for. So for Paul, we know that people are searching these MailChimp problems that they have, and they're looking for guidance that they could get from Paul's existing product of a MailChimp course. And you can do the same thing with your own business, regardless of what type of business you are. Awesome. Okay. Can we talk about this piece of the puzzle for a little bit? Because I get search engine optimization at the front end, sort of at the front end and in the back end. Like I know I understand how it works mostly. I understand that when I create content that people are searching for, I end up ranking more and I know, you know, how I can, uh, you know, little things that I can do with that to make that work better. Where I always personally get lost is in the research phase. It's figuring out the keywords that are going to be right for me. It's figuring out the questions that I can answer because I'll answer questions all day long, right? Like that's, I love doing that, <laughs> but I have a really, really hard time coming up with those things. So can we go back to the first case study with uh, Sue first? Um, you mentioned that you did an audience survey and you discovered that they were, that her audience was looking for how to create a particular type of aesthetic. What were some of the questions that you asked and how did you ask them to, that helped you arrive at that realization? It's actually really a lot easier to conduct an audience survey than most people think. Um, and I have a team with my marketing agency that they are exceptional at stats. So they help design those surveys. And the types of questions they ask are actually very straightforward in the surveys. They ask things like when you're trying to solve an interior design problem, where do you turn to? Of those places, what types of content do you like to read that helps you the most? 
because in most cases, there's already somebody out there that's creating content that they enjoy. There just might be holes in their content that you can fill in as a content creator yourself, or you can do a better job. That that's a big point we talk about in SEO all the time is most articles don't dive deep in a topic. And they really just have maybe a list of information or very short paragraphs. It's very skimmable. If you can create content that dives deep into a topic, you're going to perform better in search engine results. Got it. So are those questions that you're asking in an audience survey, are they open-ended? Are they multiple choice? And how do you make the decision between those two? They usually start off as multiple choice questions to kind of get a guide of a basis for the the audience itself of this person that's answering the question, do they fit the audience bill or not? Because if you do an audience survey and you're giving away something, you're always going to get people that answer the survey that aren't actually part of your audience. So that's something to be aware of, of that uh, you have to have some sort of bias built into your survey to make sure that your results that you're getting are accurate. And then from there, we ask open-ended questions. And you would think, you know, oh, my audience doesn't want to take time to answer an open-ended question. If they've been reading your content for a long time, they definitely will answer your questions. And if you're relatively new to business, often what's better instead of doing a survey, whereas Sue, she'd been blogging for 10 years, she had an existing audience, had that ability to do that. Instead, you can conduct interviews with people that are in your target audience instead and just talk with them in an open-ended discussion and give them something in return of that you might give them an hour consult for free because, you know, the value that they're giving to you is probably worth that hour consult. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Can you talk about how this research, like how does the research change or how do you approach the research differently depending on the business model that's behind like the desire for search engine optimization and the desire for that content? Because it sounds like, and, and maybe maybe I'm missing a piece here, but it sounds like Sue had a different business model than Paul did. Like Paul has a kind of classic uh, information marketing business model around that MailChimp course where people have questions, he has answers, and then he has answers you can pay for. <laughs> Whereas it sounded like Sue is more on the kind of traffic model where she's making money through affiliate marketing, maybe she's making money through advertising. And it seems like those that has a bit of a different approach. And really, I'll just be completely honest. This is also like a personal question for me because I can, like I said, answer questions all day long about things that people are searching for. But that doesn't necessarily serve my business model because we don't have an ask and all answer business model. We have a community-based business model. Um, And so you don't need to give me free advice, but that's sort of the context of my question is like, how how do you approach that research or do, do you change your approach in that research if you're, as you're, you know, depending on the business model you have? Absolutely. And it's actually the same approach. It's how you tailor the questions that you're asking. So you have to get to the to the root of the problem. That's one of the main stays of working in SEO is addressing problems that you have to come up with, with good solutions. So for Paul, he knows his audience particularly well because he's worked with MailChimp and people that use MailChimp for a very long time. So he knew their basic pain points of what are the things that people struggle with. So what we did for him uh, is 
look through his course that was that he already had this information that was pre-existing and said, "Okay, Paul, what are the things that people struggle with the most?" And then went and did some SEO research and actually did keyword searches to find out which one of those topics had the most volume. And then from there that led us to select 20 of those ideas that we started off with probably 30 or 50 ideas and then narrowed down from there that we only picked the the top trafficked searches. So for Paul, if you already know what your audience pain points are, then that's a much easier place to start. So if you mm-hmm. just sit down and make a list, what are my audience's pain points? Then from there, you can go do some keyword research, find out what the things that are the most popular searches that you might not get traffic for right now because you don't have existing content, but are opportunities to get more traffic. For Sue, it's the same approach. She needed to figure out what her pain points were for her audience. So even though she has a business model that's based off of traffic and affiliate sales, it's still the same thing of that at the end of the day, they're looking for someone to help them solve that problem of getting a certain look in their home. Part of that is buying products. Mm -hmm. So it matches with her figuring out, okay, how do you get the Neo Trad look, which is an an interior design jargony term that someone that's new to interior design might not necessarily know. So it's figuring out, okay, well, how would someone articulate that? What words would they use? How are they searching for it and doing that incorporating of SEO research and keyword research into it to try to figure out what those topics are and how to articulate them. So I'll bring in another example of on my agency side of things, we work with law firms and one of which is a bankruptcy firm in Memphis, Tennessee. So for his law firm, there's no way he could ever rank for what is bankruptcy. Right. Because it's too competitive of a term. It's going to be mostly national rankings for that, that if you look and you see, okay, so I'm going to write this information about this post, you might not actually rank for it, but that's okay. Because what we did for him was wrote a ton of blog posts about those just really general topics. What is bankruptcy? What is chapter seven bankruptcy? What is chapter 13? All the different pain points that his clientele might be Googling as part of that and that they're going to search to try to figure out these answers. And what they really need is someone who's going to help them with those pain points. And even though he might not rank nationally for those, he's now ranking better locally for bankruptcy attorney in Memphis, Tennessee area and ranking in the local pack, which is the map on Google search results. So even if your model is not information-based and it's service-based and you're just serving a local area, figuring out those pain points and getting down into the specific ways that your audience is articulating it and then going to search for it that's going to help you rank better, get more traffic. And if you have a strong call to action, then also get more clients. We'll hear about the tools and techniques Kim uses with her clients and that you can use too in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you a little bit more about our upcoming virtual conference. If building your audience is one of your 2019 goals, this is a can't miss event. On Thursday, June 13th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific, the What Works Network will gather live to spend the day talking about what's working in audience building. Members will hear from Dana Kay on building a magnetic brand, Amy Walsh on representing your work and your business visually, Dr. Michelle Mazur on creating a rallying cry to move your audience, and Alethea Fitzpatrick on building an audience with a value for inclusivity. 
Our members love these conferences, not just because it's a great opportunity to learn from others in the network, but because it's the chance to have an extended, in-depth conversation about topics that are incredibly important about how we're doing business today. Plus, it's a great opportunity to take a break and focus on working on your business instead of in it. Heidi Johnson told us, it's like giving myself a hall pass to get a refreshing drink of water for the whole day. And Bonnie Gillespie said, virtual conferences are by far my favorite part of my What Works membership. These day-long deep dives with varied voices and points of view, all led by Tara and framed for us to take action as we go. Yes, my interactive learner loves these jam sessions. Sound like your cup of tea? Want to spend the day jamming on building your audience with us? Mark your calendar for Thursday, June 13th, and then head over to explorewhatworks.com slash network to join us. All sessions are recorded and available for almost immediate replay, so you can duck in and out as you need to. Remember, to join us for this special live event, you have to be a member of the What Works Network. When you join us, you'll also get access to monthly insider hours where you can ask me how I'm running my own business or observations I'm making as I talk to business owners all over the world and from all different industries. You also get access to our monthly flash masterminds, your chance to put yourself in the hot seat and get real-time feedback from other business owners. And you get access to monthly community roundtable discussions, your chance to deep dive on our monthly topics. And of course, you get access to our private network of experienced small business owners. It's real talk about what's really going on in small businesses today. Everything from operations to hiring, to marketing, to scaling, to taking time off. You belong inside the What Works Network. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash network to get started. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. Can you actually walk us through a bit of the keyword research piece? So once we know sort of what the general pain points or questions are, the problems that we want to solve that people are searching for, where do we go and or, or what what do you do rather when you're presented with a, a list of those things where are you going and and what are you doing to find the actual keywords you're going to be having your client write around or or you guys are going to be writing around so there's a couple different tools that i recommend out there and the good old standby is google keyword planner tool and to use that, you have to have an advertising account with Google AdWords. You don't have to actually use it. You just have to sign up for it. So it does require a credit card to get to it. Just to make sure your use, your uh, listeners rather are aware of that, that if they're looking for it, they can't find it. That's why. Um, and that will give them a range of searches of that it gets a traffic of 10 to 100 searches per month or 100 to 500 searches per month. It's not super granular if you're not using Google's advertising tools. So that can give you a basic guide from there. And since it's straight from Google's mouth, it's pretty accurate information. So for people who are very new to SEO, that would be my first recommendation is, is learn how to use that tool a little bit and just start to get your feet wet because even just ranges of how many searches per month can give you a good idea of what people are looking for. You can try out different keywords, try out different ideas, see what works there. But on a professional level, what I love to use is a tool called SEMrush. And it's um, not it's not a cheap tool by any means. So if it's someone that's just looking to get started in SEO, I certainly wouldn't recommend it to them. But you can get up to 10 free searches per uh, day on there that you can look at the research and see 
more granular numbers of that they'll tell you within a 10 range of, you know, 350 searches, 340 searches, and it gets a lot more granular that way. And how you do keyword research is you start to put in the ideas that you think you have and then start to gather more through those tools of figuring out, okay, how are people articulating this? And you're looking for not only what we call short tail keywords, so that's things like bankruptcy chapter 13, for instance, for our legal client. But it could be stuff like long tail keywords is the SEO term for it of can I keep my house in a chapter 13 bankruptcy? And that's a really particular problem. So then you can write a really particular blog post or article about that specifically for those people looking for it. So that's how you can incorporate keyword research into it. But that shouldn't be the first thing you do. Okay. You should be talking to your audience first and really finding out what their pain points are because keyword research can have a confirmation bias of that. You think, oh, people must be searching for this. And then you only look for ideas based off of that concept. And you're missing things that could bring significantly more traffic to your website because you're only looking at pre-existing ideas that you have right now. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I have so many questions. Let's see. Where do we want to go next? Um, I'm I'm intrigued by the approach you used with Paul of creating 20 articles and posting them all at once. And just basically, it sounds like almost creating a resource website that's designed to sell this course. So this isn't his main website. This is a website Mm -hmm. that's focused on his course. Yes, it's um, chimpessentials.com is the website. And it really is just a very static website. He only opens his course, I think, either once or twice a year. So for him, his business model is predicated on he has a funnel that he uses to get people in the door. So that way, when he does open his course, they're already in there and they're already interested. So it's kind of a weird combination between constant traffic that he gets because of these 20 posts. And one thing we always have been told before in blogging is post regularly, post consistently. Right. That's not the case anymore. You don't have to do that. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about that (laughs) because I think structurally, (laughs) I guess I'm, I'm interested in the structural side of things. Like when you go on chimpessentials.com, does it look like a blog? Does it look like a um, a knowledge base? Does it look like a set of resources? And is there a better way to, is there a best way, I guess, to structure those things from your perspective uh, so that it's as friendly to search engines as possible? Absolutely. And this is where you're getting into the technical weeds of SEO. Yeah. And I like to use a technique that's called content siloing, and it is not without its controversy in the SEO arena. Some SEO pros agree with me, others don't. Um, I've done my own research and rely on research of people I trust in the SEO industry of why I've developed my own methods that I use. But how I like to structure content is by category. Because if you think about a search engine, what it's trying to do is find relevant content that answers someone's problem and is the best solution as fast as possible. Speed is a really big part of it. So as part of it, we make sure that, you know, the website's working really well, it's loading fast, there aren't server issues, all that technical side of stuff is involved in SEO. But from a standpoint of content creation, we try to sort the content like we would sort colors of jelly beans. So all the blue jelly beans are together. So if someone goes to Google and says, hey, Google, go find me all the blue jelly beans, it knows exactly where those are on your website. So that's why I like to organize it by category. So Paul's website, he has his own 
version of how he structures his websites that is not a typical structure. So he's probably not the best example for this um, because if you go take a look at his website, he's got a giant archive where he just lists every post he's ever created. And he does that across all of his properties. Sue is probably a better uh, example Great. of how to organize your structure. So for instance, she has all of her blog posts about kitchens are all together under a kitchen category. And the URL structure has kitchens in it. So every single blog post that's there about kitchens is tagged with the kitchens category and it's part of the URL. So because uh, Google is looking at the URL, so that's how they in part identify where content lives. So by structurally putting all of that content together on their websites, then Google can find it much easier and identify, okay, all of this is topically relevant to kitchen-related interior design searches. This is a good place to send people. Got it. Do you also do um, like our, um, I guess way back in the day, we called them like pillar content pages where the that there'd be a broader topic and you'd say everything I've written about this is on this page and sort of like excerpts to those posts, those articles, um, and then links out to the full thing. Do you do anything like that? Yes. And that's actually part of the technical aspects of content siloing. So for my WordPress users that are listening to this, WordPress does not automatically do that in the way that it's designed. So on the technical side of things, we have to reprogram it a little bit to get it to work the way that we want to. And not every site should have that sort of structure that it it can work really well. And what happens is all of those blog posts that you've written on that topic help raise that single page up, that pillar post that you're talking about, and that that one will rank or should rank the highest for really competitive keywords, that that's the content siloing technique on the technical side of stuff. However, it's not straightforward to create that type of content through link structuring. So um, the thing to remember is that links is what creates structure on the internet. Of on, This is getting in the technical weeds, so bear with me for a no, second here. No, I love here. it. I love it. Keep it coming. <laughs> the links on your website, when you link between pages... It's basically saying to Google, these pages are topically relevant one to the other because I'm linking between them. They have to do with each other. So when you create a content silo, you want to link between content that's the same topical relevancy. So when you're creating that pillar page, absolutely makes sense. Link to those things that are in that topic and that will help those smaller, more granular, long tail keyword posts raise up the pillar post page to rank for shorter tail keywords because it's taking what we call all the SEO juice (laughs) from all these other websites that are linking to this really juicy content that's at the lower stages of your website hierarchy. And it's helping feed up to this pillar post page to raise that page up in rankings. And that's a lot of SEO jargon altogether. So I apologize. There's not really a very good way to explain it. But action step for the people listening today is that what they need to do is think about how can I create topically relevant content and put it all in the same place on my website? Yeah. I love it. Okay. So hypothetically, let's say you're a small business podcaster and um, you have uh, your show notes are article length 
and contain important keywords. And you think that maybe SEO might be a great way to start getting more traffic to said small business podcast. Um, one, one thought that this hypothetical podcaster has had is to put is to basically create like playlists of content, put them all on one page that are, you know, based around uh, maybe keywords like small business marketing or marketing podcast or, you know, something like that. I haven't done the Mm -hmm. research yet. Or this hypothetical podcaster hasn't done the research yet. Um, Is Would that be an example of, of what you're talking about here? Yes. And I would tell this hypothetical (laughs) podcaster to first off figure out how her audience is articulating the podcast niche that they're looking for, whether it's using the word small business or if it's um, business podcast for entrepreneurs or however they're searching for it. And I would make the goal of that page to rank for whatever keyword seems the most reasonable to target because some keywords are more difficult than others that also gets a high amount of traffic and then make sure that on all the individual pages that have each podcast on it to link to that main page and that main page be one of the pages in that hypothetical podcaster's menu on her website. Beautiful. (laughs) This hype, the hypothetical podcaster appreciates that tip. Um, um, I'm loving this whole conversation and it's um, confirming a lot of things that I have been thinking about over the last uh, few months, really maybe even over the last year. So I, I really appreciate everything that you've gone into, even the jargon. And I definitely appreciate the examples as well. Um, as we start to wrap up here, I'm thinking about how, you know, we started off by talking about the drawbacks of social media. And I think there are a ton of drawbacks as you articulated so well. Um, and obviously it has a a place for many of our businesses if, you know, and maybe not all, but for many of our businesses, social media has a place and we've built even small audiences there to this point. How does how can or how does social media play into a search engine optimization content marketing strategy? Do you have recommendations or are there things you work with with your clients on that help them bridge the gap between those two things? Absolutely. So most people, when they create a new post, what they do is they just go share it on social media, ask for people to go visit it. But what's more is that when you create really great, extensive, authoritative content like we've been talking about, you need to use your social network on social media to get links back to your website. And that will help you not only build an audience on social media because you're getting noticed by people who follow other people that are in your niche, but it'll also help you rank higher because links back to your site are an important ranking factor. So if you think about um, kind of how we view Instagram is you have to look and act a certain way. People feel that they have to be a certain level of fake on Instagram for it to be successful. And I know all my social media experts out there are feminently are disagreeing. <laughs> Others are very much agreeing. Whatever your opinions are of social media, what you have to remember is that it's timely. And when you share things on social media, it's, it's here and then it's gone. And, and that means that it also doesn't contribute a whole lot 
to SEO and ranking better of that. You really have to think of it as a way to cultivate your audience, stay in touch with them, and it be a secondary validator more than a primary driver. I love that. Secondary validator. I scribble in my notes. Brilliant. Um, Kim, if there was one thing that we could do in the next week to start thinking about the kind of content we need to create on our websites to use them as better tools for building our audiences when it comes to search, what would that one thing be? Beyond listening to your audience, which I have talked a lot about, is making sure you have a call to action that makes sense for how you're serving your audience. So this has absolutely nothing to do with SEO or social media strategy. It has to do with converting. Because at the end of the day, you can get all this traffic from search engines. You can get all this traffic from social media if you have cracked that nut and figured out how to build an audience over there and it's working for you. However you figure out how to build this audience. If you don't do anything with it, it's not benefiting your audience and it's not benefiting your business. It's not helping your bottom line. So what I would recommend is something that they can do today or this week is to think about working back from what their business goals are to how they can help serve their audience. So we've talked about doing it from the front side of talking to your audience, figuring out what their pain points are, and then creating content. You can do it on the inverse of thinking about how your business is going to be successful and what you want, and then working back from, okay, then what kind of call to action do I need to have? Then what kind of content should I create? And then you can validate that idea by then doing your keyword research, that that should be the last step that you do. Perfect. Uh, That... This has been absolutely incredible. Uh, Kim, I want to ask you just what you're excited about this year with your business. And, you know, is there a particular project that you're working on or a goal that you're working toward that you're really excited about? You know, it's really funny. I am working on my social media <laughs> of making it actually uh, look better and look like how I present myself. Because for the longest time, I thought I needed to fit into the predominantly white background, hands on a keyboard niche that's been on social media for such a long time. And the truth is, I'm sure you can tell by talking to me with throughout this podcast, that's not really how I act. And that's not really how I think about business. And I've been working on uh, producing better visual assets with my team, uh, and really making sure that my social media acts as that secondary validator to really showcase who I am, and that I am an expert. And then that feeds back into the content that I've created on my website, and all the resources that I have. So that's where my focus is right now of really making sure that I'm doing that to give myself the opportunities to go educate people about SEO and content creation practices, because breaking through myths and talking about falsehoods in SEO is one of my biggest passions. I love that. It's such a perfect place to to leave things as well. (laughs) Kim Harrington, thank you so much for shedding some light on really the nitty gritty of building our audiences through search and just fantastic content. Thanks so much for having me. And I hope this really helps your audience. Find out more about Kim Harrington and SEO consulting for small businesses at KimberlyHarrington.com. 
This episode was produced and edited by Sean McMullen. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 200 more candid conversations about what's really working for small business owners today at explorewhatworks.com.